Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you in the house of the Lord. God is good all the time and all the time. Amen. You can, you can, I think you can speak through your mask. Uh, it is a privilege to continue to serve you as your pastor. And this morning, I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray together a prayer that we do together as a church to prepare ourselves as we hear the word of the Lord. Uh, let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Please remain standing. Matthew 18, reading from verse 21 through to 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. If I may just clarify, in the translations, they have gone between 77 times and seven times, 70 times, meaning 490 times. It seems that Jesus is saying more than Peter. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents, just to give you perspective, would take 150,000 years at that day's labor per day to pay this back, was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii would take an average person about 100 days labor to pay back. And seizing him by his throat, he said, pay what you owe. And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would, repay, would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father God, this morning I recognize that there are some scriptures that are just hard, difficult challenging, words that come from you that are sometimes unsettling to how we think about ourselves and how we think about others. 
But this text this morning points us very clearly to your heart, your perspective, your ways. I pray that we would grasp through the simplicity of my meditation on this text a a perspective that comes truly from your spirit and speaks to your church. May we hear not only the words of conviction, but the words of liberation and hope, for your gospel is good news. It is that which comes through Jesus Christ at great cost and says to all of humanity, you can be liberated from all that binds and holds you, and you can live in accordance with the great plan of God to redeem and restore all of creation. May we grasp the grace in the text, as we hear its truth, in Jesus' name, amen. While forgiveness may do nothing to change our past, it is essential to our future. Can I say that again? While forgiveness may do nothing to change what has happened, it is critical to what will happen. Or in the words of... uh, the Honorable Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who, speaking about the context of segregation and marginalization in South Africa, put it this way, without forgiveness, there is no future. And yet, uh, I think this is probably one of the toughest texts in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, It speaks of a way of life that is challenging to each and every one of us. And it is perhaps easy to preach this message in such a way and to interpret this text in such a way as to say, just forgive. Perhaps making light of those who have been severely injured, hurt, abused, betrayed. Or uh, it it could be preached in such a way as to heap more guilt on those who are struggling with how to let go of previous hurts and pains. A minor offense is one thing to forgive, but what about major things that have happened in our life? Uh, As you have got to know me, my history, my past, my story involves a lot of hurt and pain. Uh, My family, parents and brother and sister, were tragically killed in a car accident as a result of a drunk driver. That man walked away from the accident. My parents, 47 and 49, and my brother, 17, and my little sister, Alana, after which my Alana, I guess our Alana, because mom had a part in bringing you into this world, uh, is named. Uh, There was lots of challenges in my own experience of that loss, not only in terms of how it impacted where I lived and the fact that I'd lost my close family, but in my sentiment and feeling towards the person who made this poor decision and acted in such a way as to deprive me of my own family. I find it very hard, not to be honest with you, as a preacher, that it is hard to listen to this word and hear Jesus speak about a forgiveness that in life often seems impossible. Uh, Peter is becoming one of my favorite biblical characters. He speaks what I'm thinking. 
And Peter has listened to Jesus talk about the way of the kingdom in such a way that Peter goes, I'm starting to clue in that whenever I think this is the way, you have a different way of challenging me to live. And so Peter realizes as Jesus has been teaching his followers about the need to forgive one another within the context of the church, Peter says, but there has to be some limits on it. You know, uh, how often do you forgive somebody that repeatedly offends? Uh, you know, give me a number. And then he answers his own question. Uh, anybody know a Peter? <laughs> I, have a, I have a number in mind, Jesus. The number is seven. It's the perfect number. Or perhaps Peter figured it out this way. He said, the rabbis teach us that three times is okay, and then you can wipe the dust of your feet and walk away. But I'm going to double up and add one. And Jesus responds to Peter's offer of a gracious number of times to forgive by saying it is in fact not seven times, but potentially as much as 490 times. And I think this is what Jesus is doing. He's answering the wrong question with the right answer. He is teaching Peter that when you are counting, you're not getting what it means to follow Jesus. But if you understand what Jesus is saying, he's saying, take a limit off the number because forgiveness is a way of life, not just an occasional choice. Oh, Jesus, that's hard. That's really hard. I, 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 I wish I could say it differently, but it seems like Jesus is suggesting that instead of measuring how many times you're going to have to forgive, I, I want you to understand that you're going to have to practice forgiveness as a way of following me. As a way of continuing in my ways. As a way of staying true to what it means to make me your king. The, the, the parable that Jesus tells is fascinating because he speaks of this is the way of the kingdom. Did you ever think of this? That the way of the kingdom is the way of forgiveness. That the way of discipleship is learning how to become familiar, learning how to become in tune with the need to forgive. And not just once, but often. Let me put it to you this way. There's an idealism that creeps into us as human beings when we anticipate that we will not need this great grace to practice not only in our marriages, in our homes, but in our church. And Jesus would have us pause for a moment to understand that when he responds with this number to Peter, he is trying to deconstruct Peter's own perception of what it means to follow him. Set no limits on forgiveness. In fact, there's an Old Testament reference here to Lamech, which is the descendant of Cain, who decided he was going to exact 77 times the vengeance upon the person that has offended him. And some biblical scholars, this is just fascinating to me, suggest 
that when this number comes up again, Jesus is saying to Peter something far more significant. He's saying that in order to make the world a better place, a whole place, a place that I've intended, you cannot go about healing the world with vengeance and retribution. The world will only be healed by something that upends the cycle of retribution and hate. And that comes through Jesus Christ as the call to love others as we are loved by God and to become a people of mercy. The world will not be repaired when we exact the same attitudes upon it that perhaps it exacts upon us. But you say to me, Stu, that's all fine and dandy. Is that a right phrase? Does that make me sound older than I am? Dandy? My kids are, I don't know if they're laughing or they're embarrassed, but I'll keep going. You may say to me, Stu, that's all good, but it's hard. And I think when we look at this text, we, we, we recognize that Jesus is teaching his disciples the importance of forgiveness in how they live their life, but he is also not making light of forgiveness. Uh, perhaps I should put it differently. Forgiveness is not cheap. The cross of Christ would indicate to us every time we look at it that forgiveness is costly. Christ laid down his life on such a cross in order to extend the mercy of God to all of us. So to be a person of forgiveness is not to think that it cheapens the offense or the sin, that it makes light of the brokenness and the pain. To become a person of forgiveness is not to dismiss the pain and the hurt or the responsibility for our own actions. It is not to live in such a way as to suggest that, you know, I'm just going to seek forgiveness and we'll move on because that's okay. It is to understand that it costs God through Christ, his own son, to extend to you and me the grace that we have. And get this, it costs us something to live as the forgiven in relationship with others. It is hard to follow Jesus. It is hard to live in his ways. Friends, let me, let me just say this to you, that when I, in my own experience of following him, begin to take him seriously on these things, it challenges me in ways that I wish it didn't challenge me. You know, when Jesus says, love one another, he says, as I have loved you. I wish that Jesus just kind of left love really nebulous and feel nice towards each other. Get the warm fuzzies. But Jesus says, love as I have loved you. You know what the scripture says? While this world was yet in bondage to sin, God sent Christ to come and redeem it out of love. He is the one that comes at great cost to restore and show us the way of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let us not make light of his sacrifice as we become his people. And let us not live in ignorance as to what it means to live in his ways. Please do not hear this message wrong. Forgiveness is not to diminish the pain that others have caused us. 
or to diminish perhaps the suffering that we have brought about to others. It is not to simply develop amnesia and to move on. It is about a costly understanding that in order for us to have a hope of reconciliation with God and with others, that the way we choose is the way of humble, loving, gracious mercy. Uh, the, the world, the world today needs people of mercy. I, I don't hear if, if, you're, if, if you're like me, and I have, I have many followers on Twitter, about seven, seven. <laughs> That's my attempt at humor. Uh, but I, I, I do go on uh, the Twitter. I'm just kidding. I, I go on Twitter at times. I, I go on uh, social media at times. And, and it doesn't seem to me that, that, that you know, now, now, now you can judge the world by its standards. But when it comes to Christians, you know, there, there's, a different, there's a different kingdom we live under, right? You know, when we become Christian, we say this. We say, Jesus is king, no one else. Uh, I didn't get an amen on that. When we become Christian, we kind of say he's Lord, He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good rabbi. He's not just, he is Lord of our life. And, and so we take our cue from him. But when I, when I look at the way in which perhaps sometimes we are tempted to react to things, uh, whether it be online, in social discourse, or in relationship with one another, I, I have to ask myself the question whether we're taking Jesus seriously because what the world needs is not the same vicious participation in that which brings destruction and brokenness and unforgiveness and binds the world needs is a, a community of people that have learned at great cost what it means to be a people of mercy. But it doesn't begin on social media and with the political situations and realities of our world. It begins here with us, the community of faith. It begins with you and me and how we decide to love one another, how we decide to walk with one another, how we decide to incarnate this way of forgiveness for until the Lord returns we're going to need to learn how to do this if I can say this to young people in particular the sooner you realize that people will disappoint you the better off you will be but God through Christ has given you a grace and a mercy his very spirit to learn how to deal with such brokenness and you do not have to live bound by the vindictiveness the hurt the pain and the discouragement of when people let you down because in Christ, you have a helper that can break the chains of bondage and sin and set you free in such a way that you can be a person of mercy in a world that is vindictive, a person of forgiveness in a world that holds on to things, a person who follows Jesus. Forgiveness is a way of life, not an occasional choice. It is not cheap. But forgiveness is also the outflow, the outworking of God's love through us. When I read this text as I was preparing, I, I had this image of um, a blocked river. And then I, I Googled, and I, I Googled the, the, the phrase blocked river. <laughs> a lot of interesting things came up. But one came, uh, you know, one, 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 one ad or one uh, news article that came up spoke about a river in, in, in B.C. that had a rock slide and it, 
it blocked the salmon from migrating upstream. And there was this critical need to act fast to clear the blockage so that the salmon can do what it needs to do because so much depends on that salmon making it all the way to where it needs to go. And I thought to myself about this text that there seems to be this wonderful story, which I haven't retold, and maybe I should have, that, that, that there's this man that owes so much more than he can ever repay in his life. In fact, if you do the math, as I said, it's 150,000 years. We haven't yet figured out to live that long. There's no way he can repay it. He thinks he can. He begs for mercy and says, I will repay. But the kindness of the king lets him off the hook. And the mercy of that king is given to this man. And he sees someone who owes him far less, very manageable to repay. If he would give him the time, he throttles him. There's some good Greek for you. He puts his hands around his neck and he begins to choke. Sometimes that is what unforgiveness can feel like, isn't it? Like a throttling experience around the very thing that wants to kind of make you not breathe and live. He throttles him and get this, and I think this is the heart of the text. The people who are observing what is going on, they are kind of confounded by his actions because they saw what the king had forgiven him and they cannot understand how the river became blocked and the mercy that was given to this person is not extended through him to others. And I think it is the same with the church. It is the same with us as Christians. If we do not see how much we have been forgiven, come on church, if we do not see how we have been liberated by Jesus at a cost that none of us could pay, then we would be tempted to treat others as if they owe us more and we will not let people off the hook or give them the forgiveness or extend the grace because we have not been consumed, overcome by the tremendous grace and love and mercy that God has given you and me. And so I get to my last point. I didn't want to be pointless today. Who are you in the parable? Do you see yourself as the, uh, the first slave, the one who has been forgiven much, but you have not let the mercy of God flow through you to those around you? Or are you the, the second slave, the one who feels incredibly burdened, uh, choked? You feel that you should get grace, but you're not getting it. Or perhaps you are the witnesses to this, and, and, and you are looking at situations in life or in school or in work, and you're saying, I don't understand why this person is being this way when this person has gotten so much. You see, uh, this kind of parable is, 
you know, has as as deeper meaning. Of course, Jesus is always speaking to Israel. He's always teaching the people he's called from the old to, to, to renew their covenant loyalty and commitment to see what God has always intended him to be. But if I may, for the sake of time, just suggest to us, my friends, that, that this is one of those texts that speaks to us all because at one point we were all three of those people. We have been in a place where we have not extended mercy. We've been in a place where mercy has not been extended to us. We've been bystanders to things that have happened that has made us go, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to fix this. And so I, I, I want to suggest to you, wherever you see yourself in the text, I, I want to give you something to hold on to. And, and it begins with pointing us to the way in which Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I want you to hear it as if you're hearing it for the first time, if that's possible. This is what Jesus teaches. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If in what is probably the most well-known prayer that Jesus taught and gave his church, Jesus tells us about the forgiveness that we must seek for our own lives. He also challenges us that such forgiveness is tied into the forgiveness that we may extend to others. And we do not get here easily. It's hard. Maybe that's why it's a prayer. It's difficult because it's not just about, you know, let's just, let's just get on with it. Let's just, uh, let's just make a decision here. We, we, we need God to, to sometimes reveal things to us, to show us our hearts, to show us our need, to show us our brokenness. I think followers of Jesus must become as extravagant in forgiving as Lamech was in wanting to exact vengeance. Our lives and our world won't be repaired by participating in the very cycle of hurt and unforgiveness. And so I ask you as I close this time together, who comes to mind? Who are you thinking of? Who has hurt? Who has harmed? Someone said to me this week, um, we discuss the text all the time as the as staff, and, and in our staff meeting, someone made this this comment that I think is probably true more times than not, uh, that sometimes we're going to need to forgive the same person a lot. And, 
And I know there's, there's many questions here. There's many things I didn't touch on. But I, I, I wonder if I've said enough for you to be able to recognize and your past to be able to recognize that to love God is to learn how to forgive and to receive it. And we can do many things with sermons. We, we, we can make notes in our Bibles. I hope you do. My mom's Bible was written up. This is a great insight. I've learned something new. But here's the one thing that the Bible never seeks not to do. is It wants to lead and guide us in how we live. Maybe God is inviting you to step out in a way you haven't stepped out before. Maybe God is inviting you to pray this prayer until you can believe it's possible in your heart. Maybe God is, is saying to you today, I've forgiven you more than you dare to believe. There's some people who just struggle to believe that the grace of God has pardoned them. Some people here need to let forgiveness come to their hearts and lives and be liberated from the guilt and the shame that Satan wants to hold over their life. And in Jesus' name, I pray he would today break that bondage in your life. You are redeemed. You are his. You belong to him. He paid the price. That cross says it is finished. You can say glory, hallelujah. I don't have to live as an enemy of God or others for God through Christ has made me his own. But for that person, that person who knows today God is sending you somewhere, I pray that you may have the courage, the grace, and the wisdom to obey.